Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody to episode number 238 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I am Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. And we have some special guests with us tonight. We've been alluding to this for the last couple of episodes, and it's finally here. So let's meet them, or at least introduce them. Uh, The first one is someone we've had on before when we did our deep dive into Flex Radio. And he is Steve Conklin, AI4QR. Hi, happy to be here. All right, it's good to have you back, and uh, you're going to be talking about something different tonight, so we'll get into that in a minute. But then we also have, uh, from the Open Research Institute, something we will be talking about rather deeply tonight, Michelle Thompson, Whiskey 5 November Yankee Victor. Hello, thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. We're, we're glad you could both be here tonight to talk about a couple of different things. So, as uh, we kind of pointed out earlier, it's all pretty informal. We're probably going to try and make up questions as quick as we can think of them and um, probably have you two do a lot of the talking because we are lazy, or at least I'm lazy. I'll speak for myself on that. I'm, I'll, I, so, uh, whoever wants to do more talking is, is all good with me. Uh, but the first thing we wanted to dive into tonight, and this is going to be one of those shallow-ish deep dives. Um, because Steve is no longer like directly affiliated or, or deeply entrenched in Ubuntu hams anymore. Uh, but we did want to talk about the organization a little bit, uh, what it is, what it does, and how actually you can participate. Because I discovered today that back in 2014, I actually signed up for it and forgot about it. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, as, as things will happen. Uh, so if uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what Ubuntu hams is, uh, Steve, and, um, you know, uh, you know, I'll just let you introduce it. I mean, you obviously know a lot more about it than me and uh, sort of what things it offers, I guess, is what we really want to know. Yep, happy to do that. Um, Ubuntu Hams uh, started with three Canonical employees. Of course, Canonical is a company that uh, supports Ubuntu. I worked there and I interviewed and and we hired uh, Kamal Mustafa, KA6MAL, and he and I were both on the kernel team and we had a, I think we had a, a team dinner somewhere where you were supposed to wear uh, some distinctive clothing from your native country and I wore an ARRL shirt and uh, because, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and Joey Stanford in zero something, I busted his call, uh, walked up and said, oh, more hams. And, and we said, all right, we we should do something with this because at, at maintaining the ham packages in Debian and, and Ubuntu 
always needs more help and more work. And uh, so we founded the Ubuntu Hams team on Launchpad, and we were the three initials. And I don't think any of us are terribly active anymore, but they have 500 members. Uh, Kamal, Kamal still does some packaging. He still works for Canonical. He's the only one of the three of us that does. And so uh, it, you can find it on the launchpad.net slash tilde ubuntu dash hams. And there are two other, there's another group under that, the Ubuntu ham developers for people who want to contribute to packages. And uh, I'm looking at it now. There's a wiki page I made. I wonder if it's been updated with the current status of bugs and everything for all the packages. But um, basically, if you, if you have anything that you want to contribute or you want to make sure that the latest packages are in Ubuntu, and, or you provide a package to Debian and want to make sure that it gets synced to Ubuntu, that's a good place to start. All right, very good. Now, this just came to my head as we talked a couple episodes ago about snaps and app package and different methods for distributing uh, software. Does, I mean, obviously the Ubuntu hams, they maintain actual packages because they have a PPA, which you can subscribe to to download. Uh, hopefully, later versions of stuff that's actually then is actually in the repos that are released normally but are there also is anyone doing like snaps um in the ubuntu hams group for uh ham radio software that you know of um there are, the only people i'm aware of that are actually using snaps and i'm not uh, intimately connected with them are the uh the lime sdr people released some stuff as a snap uh, was my understanding. I haven't looked at it. I think it's a great thing. It mirrors the s sort of model that all of cloud computing and Internet of Things is going to, which is a more containerized model where you bring your dependencies with you. Uh, I think it'll solve a lot of the problems that we have in ham radio from and have had from the beginning, especially with things like um, software-defined radio. All right. Very good. Um Bill, did you have anything you wanted to address in Ubuntu Hams? I, I can probably think of a couple more things, but I don't want to cut you out of the loop. No, go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> You're not letting me be lazy. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, I know. Um, so I looked around at Ubuntu Hams earlier today. Like I said, I, I found out that I had subscribed or become a member of Ubuntu Hams uh, four years ago and completely forgot about it. Um, but I also noticed there were some other resources there. Uh, the wiki page has a lot of information so it's a good it's a good resource uh the url that steve already gave out uh they do have uh an active net schedule i don't know how active these nets actually are i think there's one going on like now um or very soon now i started initially running those nets as a control operator and ran them for weeks and we publicized them and not a single person except i think kamal showed up and and finally, I said uh, I, I put an announcement on the page that they were that we were shutting that down. If they're active again, then someone must have picked it up at some point. But I haven't tried to check into them. Okay, and I didn't know. It doesn't say these uh, are not dated that I that I know of. Uh, well, actually, the last update on this page was 2012. So yeah, <laughs> this could be rather outdated information. I suspect they're dead. But I'm boy, I'd be open to to start those up again that would be fun or even even not even an ubuntu specific one a, an open source 
ham net would be a very cool thing to have. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm not sure, you know, how to really go about getting that started up again, but maybe we can uh, brainstorm about it a little later. Because uh, it would be nice to have an actual open source software and open source hardware related uh, amateur radio net. That would be kind of cool, especially if you do it like uh, maybe one on uh, voice and another on uh, PSK or some other digital mode. It would, it would be kind of nice to have that uh, to, to go to. I'm not sure how we'll stir up interest, but maybe folks in the chat room can have some ideas on that. Uh, but like you said, there's also the Ubuntu Hams Developers um, group, uh, which is much smaller than the Ubuntu Hams group. Uh, I actually signed up for that today, so hopefully someone will let me in at some point. Might be you. I already approved you. For oh, that. okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so excellent there. Um, uh, there's there's some other links on here. Um, can you still get these uh, badges if you uh, sign up? Uh, that's not ringing a bell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, there's there's actual like hard but, badges, like, uh, yeah. you know, that there's a link to and, and the link. Oh, still oh yeah. Yeah. They have the artwork. Do you just call the, call the guy and they're pretty cool. I've, uh, got, got, well, we're not doing video, but I've got one here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So I might go ahead and do that now that I've been approved and gone through all the steps. I even uh, said hello on the Ubuntu hams IRC channel. So there's that too. Uh, on Freenode, uh, hash Ubuntu-hams, there's an IRC channel, and there's uh, several hams presumably hanging out in there. Uh, so there's lots of ways to participate in Ubuntu hams. And uh, so how how active do you see Ubuntu hams as a as a thing? I mean, is it is it still doing things? Is it still putting out packages, maintaining things, bug fixing? I know you said um, you didn't know if the page had been updated with recent bugs or anything, but is it still doing things even though you're not really into it at this point? Um, I, I think it's probably not as active as it should be. There are um, people on there who hang out, and if you, I don't know, the most common sort of thing I see is people will come in and go, hey, there, there's an updated version, whatever. There's an updated package in Debian, but it's not a new Ubuntu yet. Can you do that? And um, people like Kamal... Um, it, it's not necessarily an advantage to work at Canonical to get that done, but if you understand the process for how to fill out the request and, and not have it bounced, that's helpful. And some of the people in that group do that. All right. Very good. So that's uh, really all I had about Ubuntu hams specifically. So anybody else have any questions? I noticed, I think there might've been a net split or something because it looked like a lot of people got dumped out of the chat room. So okay. <laughs> can't believe we bored them all that quickly yeah they just all <laughs> yeah. left at once that's yeah. <laughs> one, one cool thing in the uh, ubuntu irc chat is there's a ham exam bot that will present you with uh, random questions from the question pool for whichever test that you're preparing for and and that's kind of a cool thing that is a cool thing and how do you access that um i'll have to remember (laughs) (laughs) wake up the bot that's what you do hey bot (laughs) ham exam bot it's i see it in there in the chat so you probably just message it let me let me message it with the help and see what happens bots are usually pretty helpful so when i do that it says nothing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so maybe it's not as helpful as i like to think yeah that's cool. Right. I'll, so I'll uh, ask somebody in the in the Ubuntu Hams chat room who isn't Steve how to how to use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about what's going on uh, now and uh, what you're working on. 
with, uh, let's say, AMSAT and uh, some of the projects you're working on with that, which will lead us over into Michelle. Yes, which we need to do because she's being awfully quiet. That's okay. Once we get her started, it'll be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we, I met Michelle through a project called the Phase 4 Ground Station, which was building a, an open-source ground station for a geosynchronous amateur satellite. And uh, because of the nature of satellite launches and the fact that they're multi-year affairs with multiple setbacks and and you never are certain that you have a launch date or even a ride um, to space, We it, it, the project focused more on developing general technologies. And there's been a just a huge wealth of things to come out of it. And I'll let uh, Michelle talk about most of those, but it covers everything from five gigahertz amplifiers to dual frequency, five and 10 gigahertz uh, feed horns that people have been playing with uh, 3D printing and doing experiments with that. Um, a lot of DVB uh, uh, protocol work, a lot of GNU radio work. Uh, so it's been it's been several years now of, of some pretty hardcore research and, and development all available to hams yeah it sounds really cool well let's get over to michelle here and uh michelle let's let's uh tell us a little bit about um ori and a little bit about yourself and uh, we'll move on to the uh the projects that uh, steve was talking about okay sure um we are open research institute uh, we're a nonprofit incorporated in california in march of 2018 we've applied for 501c3 tax exempt status it was founded by me, uh, Bruce Perrins, K6BP, who's an open source activist, and Ben Hilburn, KJ4DDR. He's the president of GNU Radio. So the three of us are the board of directors for ORI. We did this in order to provide a structure for the open source work we were all already doing, and we're interested in supporting with a more formal structure. Excellent, excellent. And uh, so what kind of projects are you guys uh, working on? No, wait a minute. Don't what? don't don't let her get out of talking no. about herself. Oh yeah, you gotta talk about yourself. First. <laughs> she skipped that part. <laughs> yeah, I want to know where in Arkansas she grew up at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I grew up mainly in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm a vocational engineer. I can't stop engineering, and I love it. Uh, I became an engineer through ham radio, and uh, haven't looked back uh, since. Since then, I, I will not reveal the year that I was first licensed. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, okay. No, Everybody I'm, can look that up. <laughs> <laughs> True. No, but I, I view myself as a, you know as a, a, an engineer and a volunteer engineer for the most part. ORI, since it's a nonprofit, um, everything we do is open. It's open source, open access, and open process. All of our work is published. All the source code shared. All the hardware documented. And open process means that the decision-making along the way is open to input and the intermediate results are revealed as often as possible. We are really heavily dependent upon and invested in Linux. In general, we're users of Linux. Um, we wouldn't, we haven't developed uh, Linux or, or contributed to a kernel or anything like that, but we are extremely heavy users. We run Xilinx Vivado on Linux. GNU Radio is uh, where all of our reference designs for the radios are. Uh, Edis Research, RFNOC, um, that's Linux pretty much only. 
Um, we've developed an IP multicast RTP SDR package for Debian. And I mean, it's an everyday environment for phase four ground. All right. Very cool. Um, we've, well, you know, we here at Linux in the Hamshack have had the opportunity to meet uh, Bruce a few times because he usually wanders by our booth when we're at Hamvention. <laughs> so um, he tends to stop by and say hi. So, uh, but we have not met uh, the other member of your group. And it's funny that, well, we didn't see Bruce this year. So I guess he, he wouldn't have mentioned uh, the ORI since it's very new. Um, but before we get into phase four ground station, which is one of the projects you're working on, it has to do with, um, uh, telecommunications with satellites. I'm actually kind of curious about the other project you're working with, which is open cars. Um, I, we, I don't, you know, don't have to deep dive too deep into open cars, but, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that project? Cause it sounds really neat. Sure. It, it is. Um, so open cars is an a- attempt to get open source and uh, transparency into autonomous vehicles. So far, it's very opaque and very proprietary. Um, and so this is a, an aspect or, or one of the projects uh, that ORI is supporting. Is, um, is this purely for self-driven vehicles, autonomous vehicles? It's not for like infotainment systems? Because I know some vehicles have uh, open source infotainment stuff. Pretty much anything in that has to do with the car, I believe, is fair game for for open cars. Um, one of one of the uh, papers that's that we've published is about the legal side of of this. And uh, it, the, as you as you know, most cars have multiple servers. Uh, there's three uh, in the Tesla, for instance. One is definitely infotainment. One handles the user interface, and there's a third server uh, behind it that's connected to both. Um, we only know this because uh, people hacking away at it. Uh, so the, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and anything that is in the car that uh, runs code, we would really like it to be open source. So the idea behind the ORI is not necessarily doing the work, putting out the code and stuff like that, but to get people to recognize the benefits of open source and advocate for the open source in, in these uh, project areas? That depends on the project. For open cars, it's policy first and then finding people that are uh, willing to do the work. For open codecs, that's all the work. Uh, that's that's lots and lots of coding and testing. And for phase four ground, uh, we are I'm the lead scientist for that, and that's a project where the, we're doing the, the work uh, and also trying to influence policy in uh, in space communications. All right. So I didn't see anything on the OR website about the second thing you said. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're familiar with David Rowatel's work. Um, oh, yeah, the, Codec 2 and all that. Yes, yeah. that's uh, It's one of the projects that is supported by ORI. Ah, okay, fantastic. I didn't see any mention of Codec 2 and, and uh, Rotel's work and that sort of thing, but we've had David Rowe on. We've talked about uh, Codec 2 and FreeDB and some of that stuff, So, uh, which is really interesting to me. I wish more people would use it because that's a great technology. Um, but we probably should move into um, Phase 4 Ground, which has a lot of stuff on your website. There's uh, lots of information there, and it sounds like a great product, and there's even code associated with it that you're hosting. Um, so maybe you can, uh, at least give a quick outline, uh, first of phase four ground and the ORI's, uh, you know, 
what what you're doing with it. Oh, sure. DVB uh, S2 is the protocol that we focused on for phase four ground. So DVB stands for digital video broadcast. It's a large family of very high quality and completely free, widely used and widely implemented digital communication standards. When we say DVB S, that stand the S stands for satellite. Uh, when you say DVB S2, that's the second generation. DVB S2X is an extension that added very low signal to noise ratio and very high SNR codes and modulations to DVB S2. So DVB S and DVB S2, they're the most widely used for the downlink for broadcast satellite television. So what we decided to do is take that and make an amateur radio centric version that's open source that people can use for both satellite, uh, this would be microwave band, amateur satellite applications, as well as terrestrial microwave amateur applications. So the ground station is not something that you only use for satellite communications with an as-yet launched satellite, uh, but you can also use it for terrestrial amateur communications. So I noticed that you're talking about things in the microwave, the 5 gigahertz and 10 gigahertz band, I believe it was, that I saw. And... So you you mentioned the original technology being used for broadcast. Um, obviously, in the amateur service, broadcasting is uh, not really the focus and not technically allowed. So, what do you see it as? Um, how do you see it being used in satellite and terrestrial communication? Oh, it's uh, it's pretty neat. The uplink is frequency division multiple access, and that should be pretty familiar. It's frequency channels. So when you talk to uh, a central node or a payload, or we call them ground sats if they're on the ground, uh, then your, your radio will negotiate a channel. Uh, this is all uh, pretty much a solved problem. Uh, it's built into to DVB. So your, your particular channel, you talk to the payload, and that is uh, on 5 gigahertz. Uh, the payload has a, a very large filter bank, and it takes all of these channels in, multiplexes them, and puts them into one time division big pipe coming back at you on 10 gigahertz. Now, you, your receiver, listens to this whole pipe. You can then pick out a certain person that you want to talk to. You can listen to everyone. You can have a, a subgroup. All of the things that you're familiar with, with digital communications on apps on your phone, uh, you know, or mumble, uh, Skype, then it's going to look like that. When it's used for broadcast, there's there's not really, um, there, there are sub-channels. Obviously, you can change channels on your digital uh, or your direct TV. Uh, we're using the same packet structure. It's just that each individual person uh, is tagged and they get their own packet. So we're, we do have to make some, some interesting changes. In broadcast, as you know, uh, if, you, if you have a direct TV, uh, subscription. Your receiver is the thing that is um, that's that's authorized. If you don't pay your bill, you can't uh, listen to uh, your favorite channels. In amateur radio, it's the transmitter that gets special attention. And so, in the protocol, we do have to make some interesting changes and use some of the fields in the packets a little bit differently. Now, this is really fun work for anybody that likes a puzzle, and we have a really good handle on how to do it, and we are expecting it to work just fine. So those are the sorts of challenges that you have when you take 
uh, something intended for broadcast, and you kind of flip it around and use it for where the transmitter is the uh, licensed or authorized thing and not the receiver. So what does this look like for an end user who, who gets into this particular technology? I mean, what would I, for example, use it for? Well, I would hope that you would use it for any sort of digital data that you like. You can use it as a voice system, and it will be very familiar to you if you've ever talked into a trunked system. Um, You can use it to share uh, images. You can use it to send video. You can use it for uh, essentially any sort of data. The transmit um, or transport stream is... um, in, in, in a broadcast setting is usually MPEG video. Uh, but DVB organization has already kind of thought this through. And they have a, another protocol called GSE, or Generic Stream Encapsulation. And that's really pretty slick. What it does is it allows you to just transmit any sort of IP uh, data. Uh, you could pack it or stream. So you can use it to transmit anything. We want it to be a, as frictionless a pipe as possible. Uh, to provide you a way to transmit data reliably over the air on microwave. Um, And that's the goal. So at the application layer, there's lots of choices. If you want to have an experience that's more like Skype, uh, you can. If you want to have just pure voice and have it sound like single sideband, you can. Uh, The flexibility is a great power, uh, but it's a double-edged sword because it means a lot of extra work for us to make the user interface and the user experience really good. So at least in a satellite setting, this would require, I'm guessing, a geostationary orbit satellite to to make it useful. Um, Are you coordinating with AMSAT and stuff like that to to, uh, use existing or new um, satellites for this purpose? Yeah, I'd say that it's a long, complicated answer, but the short answer is yes. Since this is open source, it can be used by any AMSAT organization. And we have a really good relationship with AMSAT DL uh, in Germany. And all of this is available for AMSAT NA, North America, to use. Uh, Right now, we have a a launch. uh, The Virginia Tech payload is still scheduled for 2020. This is a payload that's been delayed uh, more than two years. And if that doesn't work, then we have other options. It doesn't have to be a geostation um, or a geo, uh, geosynchronous orbit for it to be useful. But obviously, when you think about it, uh, the goal of reliable communications, a uh, geo would be really, really nice. It would be the best. Uh, high Earth orbit uh, or elliptical orbits, those would work just fine. This sort of situation or this sort of protocol, this sort of system, would not work very well for LEO unless you had a constellation. You may be familiar with, uh, you know, Global Star, uh, you know, and and those types of of systems. In order for seamless communications to, to be provided, you have to have lots and lots of satellites. In amateur radio, you usually just have individual one or two satellites, um, and so far there is no uh, constellation. So you're you're right. Your instinct is correct. Uh, it's best for geo or uh, uh, mid or high orbit, and we're working hard to get as many different launches as we can. Well, it sounds like any situation where the satellites or whatever things are actually passing the packets along can see each other. So 
maybe two or three high Earth orbit satellites that are always in contact with each other, whether or not they're available to a particular ground station would also work. But a geosynchronous satellite would uh, be, as you said, ideal because it's in one place and you can always get it from a certain subset of uh, locations on the ground, etc. And obviously you can translate that to just having uh, a tower or a station that's Earth-mounted as well. Uh, you wouldn't obviously have the coverage area unless you have the capability of doing uh, forwarding or um, you know matrixing of of the signal. Is that something that you're looking into uh, doing, like mesh? Absolutely. That's how you extend your you know essentially a star network with a ground sat uh, somewhere on a, a mountaintop or a tower, and yeah, you know, in order to make it um, to get a lot further than ten and and five gigahertz line of sight signals can get, you pretty much have to go to uh, a mesh or some sort of terrestrial network. And we have a subgroup that's really interested in that. Uh, We've looked at every project can find that does mesh uh, in the amateur radio space to see how we can hook up with them. And there's lots of really good projects out there and lots of potential um, hooks so absolutely, this is definitely something we're enthusiastic about and look forward to uh, to rolling out. All right, very good. Uh, so I, I see that there are some packages, no, not packages necessarily, but there are some projects uh, source code shown on GitHub that have to do with phase foreground. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what's actually out there for code and what it does? Sure. Um, I don't think that your audience is frightened of getting too technical. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah, good. Because the the hardest part uh, of a communication system is the receiver. Transmitters usually aren't that bad. Receivers are where the rubber meets the road. The receiver in DVBS2 and T2 for the terrestrial uh, protocol, uh, that receiver has, has to... Uh, undo, has to reverse the forward error correction. And the forward error correction in DVBS2 is is literally the best in the world. It's right up close to the Shannon limit. And there's a concatenated code. There's a BCH concatenated with LDPC or low density parity check. There is no open source decoder for LDPC, or there wasn't until uh, one of our members actually got it to work on a GPU, on a graphical processing unit. So we have code in the repository that does LDPC decode open source. We're super happy about this, and it was a lot of work. The main person is Charles Brain. He's in the UK. And a side note, um, one of the powers, the true powers of open source in this particular uh, space is um, that if you are committed and if you follow through and dot all the I's and cross all the T's with open source and you publish your work and it's public domain, then you do not, um, you're not restricted by uh, ITAR, the regulations that shut down um, anybody but a U.S. citizen working in the U.S. on um, communication satellites. Since Charles Brand is in the U.K., if we were an ITAR project, we would not be able to work with him. But because we're an open source project, we can. And the relationship has been extraordinarily awesome. He is so cool. I'm so glad to have met him and all the people in the UK uh, that, that he has introduced me to. Anyway, that with the LDPC uh, decode, 
in the repo. Now we're trying to get it to work uh, on an FPGA. Once it's on an FPGA, then a lot of SDRs, off-the-shelf SDRs, can run our code and run our receiver. So that's just one of the things that's in the repo. All right. Is there anything? Else? Well, first of all, Bill, do you have any questions? Oh, no, I was uh, I was deep diving into the GitHub. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking at all the projects and it's really cool. Uh, you have a lot of hardware uh, stuff here, like for the uh, 10 gigahertz filter and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of documentation on, on the hardware side of things, which is always great. I mean, a lot of people forget about that is that, you know, it's not just not just software, but it's also the hardware. That's a that's a huge portion of it. Yeah, in our case, there's a there's a lot of hardware, and there's always a lot of questions about the cost. We're shooting for less than a thousand dollars for a transceiver, and we're we're pretty confident that we can we can bring it in under a thousand dollars. I know that sounds like a lot to pay for a radio for um, you know amateur radio. Um, but, but that's one of the things that we get asked a lot. Uh, but yeah, the, the repository is full of as much documentation as we can possibly do. Like a lot of other open source projects, some of the documentation needs to be better. And some of it is a lick and a promise. And then other documents are actually pretty good and have been published in various journals. And we've, uh, you know, try to try to make it to where it's... Uh, you know, we'd be proud to to share it. We'd be proud to send it into to a journal or a magazine. So you can see there's a little lumpiness, just like a lot of open source projects. But we really do try very hard to do a good job of documenting. So this is Steve here. There's also a Slack uh, set up for the team. And if you have questions about various projects, that's a really excellent place to ask. And you'll see all sorts of interesting things go by there, like people 3D printing antennas and things like that oh this is for ori specifically or for phase four ground uh phase four ground although all sorts of topics are discussed there it's pretty wide-ranging yeah since the project has uh, a pretty big dynamic range we end up talking about a lot of different things it it did start out as uh phase four ground specific um but it it does cover a lot of what ori is doing All right. Well, we're definitely going to let you uh, talk about where you can go to find all of these resources when we get to the end of this, because I'm sure there will be a lot of interest uh, in the projects or or projects uh, that that you guys are working on. So um, I I almost had a question there. And what was it? (laughs) Oh, oh, practical application. So so if someone wanted to to use phase four ground right now, I see some code in there about using a receiver uh, and things like that. So is it possible to have like an SDR with a receiver using the code if you have enough processor power to decode the streams to actually uh, participate in the project uh, right now? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Because our goal is to provide not... That's a really good question. Okay, so we have ambitions and we've been pretty good about delivering on this we want to make a manufactured radio uh, like you if you want one you go buy it and flex radio is our manufacturing partner for that the mid-tier stuff is we want to give you um, instructions and support on how to take an off-the-shelf sdr and then say go get this GNU radio flow graph 
go install the software, run this, that, and the other, you know, go get your snaps, you know, cause that's where we want our application layer to be. And you will have a radio up and running. And then all the way down into the DIY is like, you want to build one from scratch. Here's our air interface. Here's what it has to do. Here's all the magic numbers in the protocol, you know, here, here's how you go uh, to do it. So since it's such a wide range of radios, uh, the answer is it depends. So the answer to all good questions is it depends. Right now, if you wanted to run a phase four ground radio, you would need to have a, a fairly powerful NVIDIA uh, GPU. And that would be where the LDBC decode would run. Uh, and the rest of the SDR would be from Phil Karn's SDR package in our repository. And I think that it would actually work right now as a receiver. Now, it's pretty rickety because we're still working really hard and in development. So I'd say the answer is it depends with a healthy dose of yes. <laughs> Uh, very good. So what is out there, since you guys are working so feverishly on the project, on the transmitter side, what if you went through the trouble of putting a receiver in service, would you be able to hear or see? Let's see. If you're, yeah, your receiver is listening to 10 gigahertz, and there isn't really anything in the amateur band like what we're going to do yet. So you'd have to generate the signal uh, that you wanted to hear, um, and you can you can you can transmit a DVBS2 signal with GNU Radio today. So yeah, you could generate your own test signal. I think what probably what you're asking is like, can you get the whole thing? Can you transmit on five, uh, you know, and then and then go through uh, a, a ground set or a payload and then listen to it, and really only in the lab. The transmitter side is pretty straightforward, um, and it's. You know, uh, it's a digital signal. It's a it's a type of QPSK that does not go, uh, cross through the the center, so that you can it relaxes the uh, restrictions uh, on the on the amplifier. And we have a couple of different transmitters that that are working. Um, you know, but the whole thing, the whole loop, all the way through, it really only works in the lab. All right, fantastic. So, Steve, I'm assuming that the reason you're Part of this discussion and after having met Michelle is because of your involvement with Flex Radio? Uh, no, it had actually Flex didn't come into the project until later. It had to do with my Linux experience and uh, I've, I've been the lead for the ground station platform development um, and that's the point, boy, and this is a great place to recruit uh, people to help with that. If you feel like helping to put together the various pieces and deliver them into something that'll work using snaps or, or whatever makes sense, then uh, we could use you on the project. All right. Very good. So are you involved at all with how this project is interfacing with Flex Radio? Um, the, the commitment we have from Flex Radio is not to interface with their current radios. It's to have them be our uh, manufacturer when we come up with a final design. Uh, so does the architecture of the Flex sort of lend itself to being the, the transmitter and the decoder for this kind of, you know, uh, project? Um, to a certain extent, to the extent that they're very familiar with direct sampling and other software-defined radios that, that are built on a, a DSP around a 
ADD converters and DSPs and all the things that we know to be DS uh, signal processing and the integration with GNU radio and various uh, FPGAs, they have all of that experience for how to connect all that stuff together and, and load software into it. Oh, it sounds excellent. It sounds like a, a match that will work out nicely in the end. And I'd be looking forward to seeing the first uh, ORI-inspired uh, DVB S2 T2 uh, transceiver. It should be really cool when those come out. Uh, so, Bill, you got anything else while I think of something? <laughs> no, no, I just uh, reiterate that, you know, this is a, one of these many projects that we talk about that definitely need help and expertise. And it's always good to uh, be aware of them because, uh, you know, I didn't I wasn't even aware of these, this project specifically <laughs> up until uh, we started uh, you know, talking about having this conversation. And uh, there's just a lot of stuff. And I, I know we've mentioned it before on the show is that, uh, you know, GN, GNU radio is 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 huge. <laughs> the project is huge and, and everything that everybody's working on there at GNU radio uh, on the project there is 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 interesting and touches all aspects of the hobby. And uh, if you're any at all interested in SDR and the future of, you know, transceivers, you know that that's definitely the place you want to start migrating uh, your efforts and 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 interest in. So let me jump in here too and say there are a couple of conferences that, if you're interested in the intersection of software and ham radio, there there are two conferences that stand out. One is the GNU, the GNU Radio uh, conference, and the other one is the uh, AWRL Tapper. DCC, the Digital Communications Conference that's held every year. Those are both really, really excellent places to meet people, find projects, and get a lot of status updates on what's going on. Yeah, this year they don't conflict, which is a bonus. <laughs> it is nice that you can attend both of them if you so choose. Uh, speaking of, I saw on your site here that there's going to be DVB-S2X block party at the GNU Radio Conference? What's that about? Ah, uh, yes, the block party. What we decided to do was to throw a block party at GNU Radio Conference. The conference runs Monday through Friday. It's in September. And what we asked for and got was a, a room, a lab, where we're going to throw a party and we're going to work on blocks in GNU Radio for Phase 4 Ground. So mainly focusing on the receiver since that is where uh, that's what we have to get working. It's the hardest part. Uh, but pretty much anything that helps the project. And the goal is by the end of the week to be able to then test them. Uh, we're going to bring a whole van load of uh, equipment to uh, to be able to do over-the-air tests. Uh, and then by the end of the week, hopefully submit them to GNU Radio uh, for acceptance into, into the GNU Radio code base. So the block party is a party for blocks, and there's going to be swag and fun and food and friendship, and we're just going to have a wonderful time hanging out. All right, very good. And I do see that there are some mailing lists associated with the ORI, so you can follow some of these projects that you are, are allowed to, I guess, sign up for and and get information. Um, and we'll have links to those in the show notes, uh, as well as links to other things that we've talked about, like Ubuntu hams and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I'm sure we'll mention flex radio as well, uh, since, uh, there are new friends. <laughs> um, let's see, what else can we talk about here? Oh, there was a, there was a question in the chat room earlier and I'll, I'll open this up to the chat room right now. If anyone is in there and has a question for either Michelle or Steve, 
or just a general question about the ORI or anything we've talked about so far, please uh, put it into the chat room and we'll make sure that they get it and force them to answer. Uh, but there was a there was a mention about uh, medical devices, open source and medical devices. Um, and I know you've got a bunch of projects on the table right now. But is the ORI would the ORI consider doing something in the open source medical industry? Because I know there's a lot of concern about closed source form like medical devices and such. Well, that's a really good question. Yes, uh, medical devices are in general proprietary closed source things. There is a GNU from the GNU Foundation. There's an effort uh, for GNU Medical, um, and that's where I would check first if I was interested in working on it. Um, the The little bit that I know is that the uh, like the proprietary protocols that are that are used in hospitals are shockingly bad there um the security and uh reliability issues are uh th th they need help um it's an extremely tough market to crack just because of the amount of regulation and the amount of turf wars going on uh so right now ori is not involved in any medical devices uh except as fans um there's been some amazing things that have come out uh from hackaday this Hackaday Super Conference last year, there was a, a remarkable um, device that a medical device, open source. Um, I forget. It was like a, a monitor. It does all of the stuff that the monitors at the side of the bed do. There's a lot of work going on. It's just a really, really difficult market to to crack and to influence uh, with open source. And that's kind of the impression that I've gotten. I've listened to a couple of other podcasts, especially ones that deal with legal issues and one that uh, had a specific interest in, in medical devices and the legalities of medical devices. And it does create a rather hostile atmosphere for things like open source. But I'm hoping that changes because it would I think it would better everything when it comes to that, because open source does seem to make everything better. So I haven't seen anything in the chat room. No one's asking any questions. I guess everyone is wrapped with the the awesomeness of what's going on here. Um, <laughs> KU4DZU does say uh, he doesn't have a question, but he loves what you guys are doing. Congratulations. So Cool. Wow, right. thank you so much. That's uh that that's that makes it all completely worth doing. It's uh to hear things like that. Come play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just want to just want to shout out the uh, those two conferences. Uh, the AWRL and Tapper Digital Communications Conference is on September 14th through the 16th, and it's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the GNU Radio Conference 2018 is in September 17th and through the 21st up there in uh, the Henderson uh, Convention Center in Henderson, Nevada. So all out here towards the west. Well, that's good because they follow each other and you could actually get from Albuquerque to Las Vegas, basically, um, in enough time to go to both. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we tried very hard to coordinate a little bit better this year. Uh, maybe Steve wants to mention um, we we reached out to a, a large number of uh, amateur radio conferences that are technical, technical amateur radio conferences, trying to get um, improved coordination. And we made a little bit of progress. I think we were hoping for more, uh, but the result is fewer conflicts and an easier uh, way to travel between them. It's been a terrible situation when you have, you know, a few hundred people who are 
the the hardcore uh, community and and they you know the whole point of these things is to grow your network and meet new people and introduce new people and and get them excited and when you have to, when you have to pick between two conferences that are the same week when seventy percent of the normal attendees. Uh, that are regulars overlap. It, it's very painful. So, we've been advocating for a conference coordination committee in ham radio, similar to repeater committees. All right, very good. Well, it's nice that the conferences got separated, if only by a day, um, <laughs> uh, to make things a little easier for folks. So, I'm looking through your bio here, Michelle, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Apparently, you do a lot with uh, AI and robotics. Is there anything you want to uh, mention in our projects that you're working on in that space? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, artificial intelligence has been an interest of mine for a while. And now there's this huge uh, upswing in machine learning and a resurgence in neural networks. Uh, my interest uh, and my particular area of research in AI is uh, music composition, so the, co- the composition of, of music. Uh, and what I'd like to do is figure out how Galois field theory and um, tessellating these planes that are kind of made up in this imaginary number system, how that can, can work in with hidden Markov models to make music that sounds like it was really um, composed by, by a human. One of the things that, uh, that we found out along the way is that the rests and the spaces and the gaps and the silences are critically important. So what you need to do is not just analyze the notes, but you also need to pay attention to the silences and the spaces and the stutters and how the timing is not quite perfect. And there's a just a, a real amazing sweet spot. Uh, and when you nail it and you're able to create music that has that stuff in it, it sounds like it was made by people. Uh, for the Galois theory stuff, if you if you have a, a tessellation in a plane, uh, any sort of regular polygon makes uh, a chord that sounds good and irregular ones that are kind of ugly looking, well, they don't sound so good. And so the the work goes on with that. That's uh, mainly software, uh, but we, we did... Uh we did make a pipe organ, a homemade pipe organ, to try out all these uh, ideas. And so there, there was actually some hardware that was created along the way. Oh, very cool. That sounds like a really interesting project. Is that available somewhere for people to at least look at or uh, maybe experience some of the computer-generated music? Yeah, it's in my personal repository on GitHub. Uh, I think I think I might be a Braxis 3D on, on GitHub. Uh, it's The code, of course, is a mess, uh, and I am in the middle of refactoring it to make it actually work more object-oriented instead of messy uh, sort of functional uh, programming. Uh, and then the document that's supposed to explain everything is uh, I have a really good start on it. So it's, uh, but it's out there. The ideas are good, and it's a lot of fun. So if anybody wants to dive in and uh, and talk about it or work on it, um, there's there's I'm working in this area, and then there's a large number of people in IEEE in the artificial intelligence um, uh, chapters that are that are working on it too. Uh, and I've met a number of people at different universities that are that are working in this area as well. So there's actually a pretty big network of people doing doing this sort of work out there. So if you're interested in music composition, uh, let me know. It, there's tons of really wonderful things going on. And that because of the rise of machine learning, the tool the tool chains available to you, uh, everything from TensorFlow to uh, Python packages are free, readily available. 
yeah, there's a learning curve. Not as bad as GNU Radio, but it's, it's still a <laughs> <laughs> learning curve, you know. So, so just let hit me up if you if you want to learn more. All right, excellent. And maybe we should uh, switch over to Steve here again for a second and find out what, if anything, he's working on these days that might be of interest to everyone listening. Oh, uh, let's see. Did a conference badge project in the last year that was a lot of fun, or Michelle was on that. And uh, that was for a cruise, a nerd cruise, and that was open source, and it was based on a very popular DEF CON badge. It was, and that was a blast. The last uh, few weeks, I've just been actually working on restoring an old World War II boat anchor. There's nothing very high-tech about it at all, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. All right, very cool. So what, what exactly are you doing now, Steve, I mean, uh, in your your daily life as far as work anything interesting like <laughs> yeah it, it's really interesting i work for salesforce on the heroku platform as a service platform and i'm a service reliability engineer on that team so we keep many many tens of thousands of virtual instances running with a i don't know if i had to guess it'd be 50 or 60 different services that uh, make up the platform and uh, we we keep them running. We when they don't run, we uh, recover as fast as we can, and then we figure out what happened and how to hopefully have it not happen again. That's good. I can think of a few things that need some reliability engineers to work on them. Uh, <laughs> I won't mention anything specifically, uh, but I feel like we're kind of coming down to where we can we can wrap this into a nice little package. But I would like to have uh, either Steve or Michelle or both. Uh, talk about anything about um, the phase foreground project or ORI that we somehow managed to skip over. Yeah, I think Michelle wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, Fashion Freedom Initiative. Oh, that was uh, that was my. I was trying to tell uh, Steve uh, that he, uh, he he and I both are are very very much involved in a an, an initiative to bring open source uh, work, software, and hardware to the fashion industry. And this is yet another challenging industry to crack. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with us. We keep choosing really difficult things. Um, but as yeah. you may as you may know, fashion industry is a, a colossal, huge juggernaut of an industry. Probably the biggest one on the planet. It's also the most wasteful, and also has some of the most horrific working conditions for people. And so, Fashion Freedom Initiative is an effort to address those problems with open source technologies. Interesting. I got introduced to this through my, my wife, Susan Spencer, who initiated a software um, fashion design, pattern design software uh, called Seemly 2D that has nothing to do. She's a ham, too, by the way. Um, and the challenge in, in the garment industry is that if you've worked in CAD or any kind of engineering production now, the entire workflow is documented and there's metadata that travels with the document and all the manufacturing information is there. And you have uh, often you'll have back annotation. So if you change something in a PC board layout, it automatically gets reflected in the schematic. None of that is in existence in the fashion industry. You, you have someone who does a sketch who throws it over the wall to someone who pins some stuff on a dummy and then, cuts some pieces of fabric out and then traces those and then throws that over the wall to the next person. And it's just a horrible, horrible, wasteful process. 
Well, that's interesting. I was kind of thinking the fashion freedom uh, initiative was like, how do we put swear words on T-shirts or something? But (laughs) a little more involved in that. (laughs) I I sense a fundraiser. (laughs) (laughs) Or get you to wear something other than a black T-shirt, right? (laughs) Uh, But obviously, it's a lot more involved and deeper than that. So that sounds interesting. Is, Is there an aim to try and bring the fashion industry out of the dark ages because apparently we all know the jokes about the seven-year-old children working for pennies a month you know making t-shirts for tommy hilfiger well i probably shouldn't have mentioned names but anyway um <laughs> is there is there, there any part of there that are, to this? there are some very interesting things uh happening in that space nothing's actually really happening yet but there are a lot of people talking and prototyping and um, one of the one of the big ideas, for example, is to use the uh, hyperledger technology so that you know absolutely when you buy a garment wh- who manufactured it, the individuals that had a, a hand in manufacturing that, and where the fabric came from, and the dyes, and where it was processed, and basically every step along the way is documented, so you know all the sourcing on on that garment. Well, that's really interesting. It has nothing to do with amateur radio or open source. Well, it does have to do with open source, I guess, or at least open research. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big, gigantic, huge uh, problem space with lots uh, lots going on. The it, there is at least one amateur radio aspect to it. We've talked a lot about wearable uh, electronics and you know that you that you work into the textile. So a textile based. Um, communication system, a wearable communication system that that you you know either is just supported by the textiles or has the circuits actually worked into it. This is something we've spent a lot of time talking about and may have something to show uh, over the next year. Yeah, I mean, and when you're talking about automated pattern design, um, you know, and custom fit clothing, you can also put analysis in there for where where to put the cable if you got to run cables through it or wiring where to put it so the flex is minimized and how to uh how to add other devices to it so that they fit you know in with the design curves of the of the garment and things like that there's a, just a ton a ton of things that can extend out of this uh, that's amazing that's probably a rabbit hole we shouldn't go down tonight <laughs> uh, but yeah i have a I've, there is something that occurred to me when you asked if there was anything else. Um, the Just like a lot of other uh, open source uh, projects and organizations, um, we, we try very hard to get the word out. And we really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the work here on this show. It's hugely important. And the reason why it's so important to get the word out is because most open source projects, it the the actual people um, that are doing the work it's it's usually a, a pretty thin team and we have a, a large number of people that are very interested and we're fortunate to have a, a, a pretty large team but each individual person uh, they they may be like the one person on that job something that's that motivates me and the reason why I put so much time into ORI and Face for Ground is because I want it to be a learning opportunity. You don't have to be an expert to volunteer. You just have to be willing to become one along the way. And learning about these communication systems, digital communication systems, you know, LDPC decode, learning about modern cutting edge stuff 
it just helps you in so many ways. And it helps amateur radio to have more hams doing this sort of work, you know, really diving in and, and giving it all you got. And, and whatever piece is interesting to you, uh, you are welcome to join. This is a, a project that has a wide open door. You know, even if you just want to learn and, and read along and, um, you know, test things, you are more than welcome. All right. And that, that sort of follows the open source ideal is getting people involved because the more people you have on a team, the more eyes you have on a project, the more successful that project is likely to be, um, especially with the ability to share knowledge and expe- especially um, to teach. Um, one thing that's always bugged me about the way people hire in jobs today, pretty much generally, is that they all want experience. And it's like, well, you can't get that without learning something to begin with. So, Yeah, this is a great this is a great project. If you need to learn how to code for an FPGA, for instance, and you just have never gotten past blinking an LED with your FPGA, we're ready, you know, and we've got plenty of work all all up and down the stack uh, for the hardness stack for FPGA. If you don't understand protocols, but you, you feel like you want to try and you haven't gotten a chance... You know, this is a great place to learn. We, we would want to enable that, introduce you to people that might hire you. We're we're into networking and supporting each other uh, in in as many different ways as we can. Even in, even if you're interested in antennas, five ten gigahertz is is a pretty convenient um, sized antenna to experiment with. The dimensions are really manageable if you're going to build stuff. Um, so there's you you could play with that. Yeah, that's the thing. You can come up with a million different avenues to participate in any of these projects because they, they touch a lot of bases and there's a lot of information that needs to be disseminated. There's a lot of code that needs to be written and there's a lot of engineering that has to be done. So I'm sure that people who want to participate can find something they want to participate in. So um, with that, let me uh, start with Steve. Is there anything uh, you want to wrap up and maybe you can give out some uh, uh, links or you know, email addresses or things like that where uh, people can t- contact you about, say, Phase 4 Ground or Ubuntu Hams or, or any of the other things that you're involved in? Well, I gave the Ubuntu Hams. You can find it in a web search. Just search for Ubuntu Hams uh, or Ubuntu Hams Wiki, and you'll find the Launchpad link is the one you want. Uh, and then there's the uh, the IRC, Ubuntu-Hams uh, group, and just hop in there and be really a cool thing if we could uh you know get some some new folks over there and get that fired up there's a lot of people in there it's it's a lot of fun uh, but the more the merrier and the more we get done i'm gonna let uh, michelle give you the current urls for fashion Fr- uh i'm sorry uh you can also find fashion freedom initiative online and and seemly 2d i'll pitch that project too but for ori and phase four i'll let michelle step in Okay, sure. Um, our homepage for Open Research Institute is pretty easy. It's openresearch.institute. And you can join our mailing list from there. Uh, and like Steve mentioned, we have a Slack that's open. That's where uh, daily engineering happens uh, on the Slack. Uh, and the mailing list is uh, its not very high traffic, uh, 
that's where mainly for announcements, reports, solicitations of uh, what to do uh, and answering questions. So between the mailing list and the Slack and, and the uh, homepage, openresearch.institute, you should be able to find everything else, uh, including the GitHub. All right. Fantastic. And I know if people want to contact you both, I believe you're both on LinkedIn. Uh, so a quick search will uh, pull you up uh, if they have any questions directly or whatnot, or they will have links to um, things that you're interested in or anything you're willing to give out publicly. So um, that's an easy way to get in contact there. So uh, one last time, I'll just uh, run around the room here and see if anybody has any final questions. Anybody in the chat room has anything they want to say, whether uh, conciliatory or derogatory. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> If not, then I guess we will wrap this up and let you guys get on with the rest of your days or evenings, as it as it were. Although I think, um, let's see, you're both you're both I'm West Coast Central. Now. No, I'm oh, in you're Central. Central. Okay, so yeah, and we'll go ahead and uh, put in in the show notes the links to the individual uh, GitHub accounts as well for for both Michelle and uh, Steve here as well. Yes, here. we should we should have a lengthy show notes for this one. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> lots of cool little projects going on. Yes, I'm. I'm just sort of waiting out the uh, stream delay because I know there is one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I think that's plenty. Yeah, we had our moment of silence. Okay. Um, oh wait. Ted says uh, WA0EIR says thanks to say thanks to Steve for his help in the past getting his stuff into Ubuntu. Uh, Steve is actually in the chat room, so he probably saw that. But <laughs> awesome. You're very welcome. I'm. I'm glad I could help. All right. Very good. Well, I guess we're going to call that a wrap. So uh, I want to say thank you first to Steve uh, Conklin, AI4QR, uh, for coming back again and talking to us tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and then to Michelle, uh, let me see if I get this right, uh, W5NYV, uh, for coming and talking about the Fashion Freedom Initiative and Open Cars and the Open Research Institute and everything else that we talked about tonight. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was really, really fun. All right. Fantastic. Well, I guess that's it. We're not even going to have time to do the stuff we normally do at the end of the show. We'll just push that back to the next one and, and take care of all of that. So uh, with that, I guess we're going to wrap up ex episode number 238 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks to everybody who showed up in the chat room. And we had uh, normally we do mention everybody's in the chat room. So let's see if we can do that now. We have uh, Ted, WA0EIR. We have Dave, KB0OWD. Uh, Don, KC9ZMY, uh, KU4DZU. Let's see, we have anybody else in there? Steve is actually in there. I have four QR. Uh, Dan in there earlier. Yeah, that's right. We also, I also saw Paul in there as well, K5WMA. Uh, Dan, KB6NU was in there. And Hutch. Hutch and Hutch, there. that's right. Hutch was in there too. K9KJN. K yep, K9KJN. So... All right. Thanks to everybody who, who listened in. Uh, we thank our guests tonight. Uh, we had a great show, and we're going to wrap this one up. So for episode number 238 of Linux in the Ham Shack, I'm Ross, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. 
Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license